What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Boy, John of the Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Of course, here with my co-host, the one and only, he comes at you at the beginning of every week, and aren't you lucky for that? Jeremy Cohen, um, how are you, my friend? What's going on, man? Doing great, yeah. I mean, how, we, today was awesome. Right? <laughs> today, today it always was awesome. feels good to be the heat, right? Yeah, no, I mean, um, yeah, it... it We'll we'll get into it, but I you know sometimes you just I, for you know I, I I talk about like the the locker room stuff and like the just keeping your keeping your positivity as a team over the course of the season, but I, just at some point, even just as a fan, like you just need to win. You just need to win sometimes. I just I'll be honest, you just need to win. Yeah, I mean you know. It doesn't make sense for us to root for this team to go 0 and 82, even if or whatever it is from now until the end of the season, right? You know, because I don't want to speak for you. I know. Don't, for don't me, tell Dave early that. <laughs> exactly, but <laughs> but it's the sort of thing where right now the Knicks are are we're projecting them to lose more games than they're going to win for the rest of the season going Indeed. forward. So when you see games like this, you know it's you want those players to at least be playing in clutch moments and. You look at RJ, and I, I really can't tell you what the future holds for Julius Randle and the Knicks, but I can tell you that if it's something that they see continuing, he's 25 years old, and he, you know, this is good for him too. Just, But but if we're focusing solely on RJ, he looked, he looked like a killer out there, and you want to see that type of an assassin. And it was just a good all-around performance. Happy to see it, it work that way, and... You're you throwing just, out killer assassin. This is <laughs> this is great. I love this. Yeah. Um, no, it, it was it was awesome. And there's there is um I think there's a lot to take from um I, I actually, you know, you try not to ever make too much of one game, but I actually do think there is a lot to take from tonight because of some of the themes that have um emerged this season. Um and look, we'll we'll get into it, but they're you know, they're now seven and eleven under under Mike Miller. Um, I, I, I don't want to hear anybody talk about the, the fact that they've played an easier schedule because they've over the course of that, uh, those 18 games, um, the three best teams by net rating in the league over the last 18 games or since David Fisler got fired have been the Bucks, the Jazz and the Lakers, uh, head and shoulders above, above, above everybody else. And the Knicks have played all three of those teams. So save me your arguments. This is a, you know, it's a, it's a bad to mediocre team under Mike Miller. So we can, we'll get into that in a second. Um, but first, very exciting moment, Jeremy. Uh, we got a new sponsor. And it's not every day that somebody wants to pay good, you know, green <laughs> money to have their product uh, pitched on this show. But 
That is exactly what Omax CryoFreeze has done. So whether you're an athlete, a weekend warrior, or someone who deals with constant joint pain, uh, back pain, muscle soreness, or arthritis, I'm old, I have all of those things, finding a natural remedy that instantly works might seem non-existent. Uh, over-the-counter pain relievers such as Icy Hot and Bengay uh, only focus on one basic cooling effect, which temporarily takes your mind off the pain until that pain returns in an hour or so. Nobody wants that. Come on. Who wants that? If you're looking to get rid of the nagging muscle and joint pain immediately while providing long-lasting recovery, you need to try a natural breakthrough pain relief solution, CryoFreeze CBD, developed by Omax Health. Uh, it's non-prescription, triple action pain relief roll-on is specially formulated to block pain receptors, reduce inflammation, and improve muscle and joint flexibility. Best part is this 100% natural CBD-powered remedy works its magic within 10 minutes of application. That's actually pretty exciting. And relief lasts up to eight hours. That's great. Much longer than the over-the-counter products. Uh, easy to throw in your gym bag or on the go for emergency pain relief. Just roll it where it hurts and ice out the pain with an Arctic Blast. Like Arctic, I could use an Arctic Blast right now. Um, called uh, Omax Health is offering listeners to this podcast twenty percent off a full bottle of CryoFreeze Pain Relief Roll On plus free shipping. Uh, the discount also applies towards any product site wide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter overtime to take advantage of these incredible savings. That is O M A X Health.com and enter code overtime. To get twenty percent off cryofreeze and site wide, Jeremy, you don't have any pain, like joint or otherwise, do you? Uh, I'm actually going to PT for some swimming induced pain, but um, swimming induced pain—that's a thing. Yeah, I somehow my form was off, and then uh, oh it was God. in September, and I just kind of neglected it. Thought rest would be good. Your form, hold and, on, your, your uh, form was off. Your yeah. form, you, uh, your your. Swimming. I, don't, I have limited range of motion. I don't, my back hurts, and oh I'm going to PT. God. We're going to work on it. We're working on it. This reminds it's, me of when my clients used to call up when I was an ambulance chaser and complain about their range of motion, and I wanted to reach through the phone and choke them, but I didn't do that, of course, um, because they were my clients, and of course, I advocated vigorously on their behalf. If anybody's listening to this, who I represented, um, sorry, I, I get I have lawyer PTSD. What can I tell you? So they won tonight. They beat the Heat 120. What was the final score? 124-121. The Heat um, had not lost back-to-back games all season, uh, which they have now done because they came into tonight having dropped a game against the Brooklyn Nets. Um, And uh, this was a game that, like, I always talk about how, you know, like, trends for the Knicks seem to go back, like, 20 years. So, like, since before you were born. Um, This is a game that I've watched the Knicks lose for... The last 20 years where it's like it was close and then 10 point game fourth quarter against a better team. And then they took several, you know, uh, body blows, um, some made threes by the heat in the fourth quarter. Um, it And then um, to really, you know, make it worse, the lineup that was kind of getting them back in it, the backups, the kids, um, Mike Miller took him out and put in the starters back. And you're like, oh, my God, here we go. They're going to wind up losing this game by 20. And it didn't happen. And uh, they won with some big plays down the stretch. Uh, RJ hit some some big free throws. Missed a couple free throws, too. But it hit some big free throws. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, it just uh, – what was your – let's start with this. What was your biggest takeaway from this game? Because I think there were a few, a few good ones. Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing was not letting go of the rope. Yeah. Um, good. It well, really – I just kept expecting the Heat to go on a run. And, you know, you've got Randall coming back, but he's rusty. 
got Marcus Morris out. You know that the Knicks are going to rely on their veterans, which is something they've really been doing a lot the last four or five games, so even longer than that, if you want to say. And the team just kept sticking with it. And come fourth quarter, I mean, when you look at the differential, it's 40 to 27. And it's it's phenomenal Crazy. how you're able Crazy. to kind of like keep it in. Yeah, you know, I mean, you can say this sort of thing like, oh, well, it's a it's a shame that a lot of these guys who are playing, they're, they're older guys, right? But at the same time, it's not like, you know, like you see Knox getting 20 minutes and they're productive minutes, especially, I mean, at least from the offensive standpoint, it's great to see him finally have that touch and that feel when, when it just feels like he's empty. And, you know, you, you kind of go from there and especially with the point guard position is completely depleted. Um, Allen certainly chips in nicely because, I mean, Peyton was just getting murdered, especially in the first quarter. Oh, my defensive God. End. Yeah, he I, he's I, had some rough defensive moments uh, since he, he has been been back after his, his kid got born. Yeah. So, I mean, the, yeah, the biggest thing to me was that. And of course, if you want to go back to RJ, 23 points. 10 field goal attempts? Yeah, 23 on 10 and 10. <laughs> it's efficient. 10 more free throw attempts. He is um, leading all rookies in free throw attempts. I'm going to pull up right now what he ranks in terms of uh, field goal attempts per game throughout all the NBA. Let me ask you something. Uh, what do you think under Mike Miller, the Knicks' fourth quarter net rating is? And this is a tricky one because I'm looking this up on the NBA stats site. Which obviously, unlike cleaning the glass, doesn't um, doesn't filter out garbage time. So you know, in in terms of games where they've maybe you know, and there have been some blowouts under Miller where they have not let go of the rope. But I kind of gave you a hint there. What do you what do you think they? I'm not going to ask you to guess the number because that would be too tough. If you want to guess the number, guess the number. Where do you think they rank in the NBA fourth quarter net rating under Mike Miller? I want. I mean, I want to say in the top half of the league. Is that at least accurate? You are. You are correct. Keep. Keep going. Okay. Um, let's let's split the difference and say seventh. Uh, you're very close. They are sixth. The Knicks are outscoring. Yeah, the Knicks have are scoring 114.9 points per hundred possessions in the fourth quarter under Mike Miller, which is fifth in the league. Uh, they're giving up 108.8, which is seventeenth, uh, and then the the total net rating of uh, plus six point one is what? Actually, wait. What'd you say? Seventh. I did. You're, oh, you're exactly right. I thought there were six for a second. I, yeah, there's there's seventh. Did you cheat? No, I really didn't. Scott's honor. I know you're a boy scout. Scott's honor. No, Scott's honor. Okay. Um, did not log into cleaning the glass just to figure out the stat that you threw at me at this moment. No, I'll tell you, it's it, it's on NBA. I don't even think you could filter by quarter on on cleaning oh, yeah. the glass. Yeah. So, um, that's like a you know what? That's a great sign because it yeah. shows that they're. Whether the game is a competitive game or or a non competitive game, it shows that they are, you know, fighting towards the till the end, as it were. Um, so I, that's 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 really good, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take, I mean, like considering what we were watching before taking this team, it's certainly not in its final form. I wouldn't even say it's anywhere near close to its middle form. But if we're if we're looking at what we were handed at the beginning of the year and what we're working with now. It's progress, just purely from a from a team standpoint. I mean, throwing everything else out the window. It's it's great to see. Yeah, and uh, R.J. Barrett, by the way, uh, ranks forty third in the NBA. He's tied with John Morant uh, for rookies at four point five free throw attempts per game. Um, but uh, yeah, forty third in the entire league. That's that's not bad. 
um, for a guy who is not a primary ball handler and, and spends a lot of his time sharing the floor with with Julius Randle, who was also very good today. Um, I, I'm not – I think – I'll talk about Randle. Neither him nor RJ was actually my primary takeaway from the game. We'll get to Kevin Knox in a second. But um, it's – you know, it's encouraging for this reason. I, I think in a lot of ways um, – Julius Randle has been his play and how the team how the team has looked um with him on the floor, how RJ has played with him, how Mitch has played with him um has been kind of a bellwether on assessing what the Knicks front office did this summer because he was the first guy they went after and you know as I talked to Dallas Amico about on the the last podcast at the end of the week and I'm going to have a snippet about this in the newsletter tomorrow. I mean, he, he's like, again, this is not rocket science. He's not the ideal guy that you'd want to put on the floor um, with uh, R.J. Barrett and, and Mitchell Robinson, especially on a team that doesn't have a shooting point guard um, just because he does not space the floor. So, you know, the fact that now under Miller, they're off. not only has their offense been, been damn good and, and Randall's been a part of that, they have – literally fallen apart well, not literally but they have fallen apart when he has been off the floor his his uh their on court off court net rating with uh Randall um for 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 Randall under Miller it's like i think it's like a 12 point swing it's ridiculous it's one of the biggest yeah it's one of the biggest in the league it's insane um and i think almost probably <laughs> ironically enough the best the best argument any Nick fan could, or any person could make in defense of the front office, the, what they did this summer was that, um, that jazz game. Um, and you know, Randall didn't play and they just, they never had a chance in the game. Um, obviously Morris was out too, but it's like, yeah, man, like he's, he's important and he's good and he makes a difference in a positive way. Um, now that they have a real coach, what do you, what are your thoughts on, on orange Julius there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, I mean, I will obviously get into this, but I think that certainly plays a factor into the Drummond information that we heard where it's like, all right, so we're basically the Knicks are, if the Knicks even gave up Julius Randall now or in the summer, because the way I look at it is, if you keep Julius Randle, you either have him on your team next year, which as we're seeing under Mike Miller could be a positive yeah. or you, you look at the market and you look at the teams that are around and you say to the teams, is Julius Randle better than what's available to you and what you need? And it's a completely different story from there. Um, it's very possible. It's, it helps them. But for right now, I mean, yeah, Julius, I'm glad you brought up Morris in terms of the jazz game. Cause I was, was going to just say, well, yeah, of course, but but even then, it's like the, the team seems more lost. And if you can see Randall doing what he did tonight, especially – I mean I was appalled. Uh, maybe appalled is not the right word. I was I – was It's a flat. strong – it's a strong verb. Well, but the next thing I was going to – maybe you'll understand why I said appalled in the first place. But I'll, I'll use flabbergasted instead. Ah, the another good one. Of Julius Randall knocking down his first three in a fourth quarter. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe that when Breed said that. It yeah. was unbelievable. Like flabbergasted totally covers it. Now you can see why I appalled. Like no, flabbergasted. Flabbergasted is the proper verb. Yes, well done. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I'm glad he hit it. It 
I don't think he was exactly thinking, man, I haven't hit a, a three in the fourth quarter. But yeah, I'm I'm with I, you. In, in all seriousness, though, you know, but, he's coming back from his grandmother passing. He was obviously playing with a lot of emotion. Like, say what you want about the guy. I, I, you love to, like, how do you not root for that and, and be happy for him? I And look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like there isn't an argument that taking, like, the fact him soaking up so much of the offensive attention, it's good and bad, right? Because it, it prevents um the ball from being in RJ's hands more and and I, you know there's an argument that like they'd be better off just being outright god awful this year which they were up until Miller anyway and having RJ you know have a usage rate more commensurate with um you know some of the some of the league leaders and then i think there's a lot of people who would say that that would be terrible for RJ RJ Barrett's development and then it's better for him to have a guy like RJ or um Julius Randle you know and to some extent Marcus Morris Although I think both of those guys together are a little overkill, but you you catch my drift, right? I, I I think it's I think there's at the very least arguments for both sides that it's a good thing that Randall is here and Randall is doing his thing. And 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 to your point about this summer, like with how little is going to be available, are you telling me like think about it from this perspective on July fifth or July sixth, if you're some team and you're sitting there and you've struck out, which a lot of teams will have struck out on the guys they actually want. And you could get Randall on a essentially a one year deal with a second year like team option, like that's that's not bad uh, for eighteen million dollars a year. That really isn't. Or uh, sorry, it's a twenty one. It's twenty one, right? Just three for sixty three. Yeah, so twenty one million. Yeah, I mean, especially if he keeps playing like this, where it only helps his value. And otherwise, you know, I mean, if he if he helps the team win and the Knicks want to win, if that's the goal for next year. Uh, and people could be like, how could it not be? But again, it's we'll get more into it. But it's the sort of thing where keeping him and playing him and playing him like this only helps everyone except for, of course, the anti-tank or the tank crowd. And if the Knicks lose anyway, then there's then everyone should be happy. So yeah. it's it does you know, just let him do his thing as long as it doesn't hurt the other people. Like you're saying, yeah, with RJ, I agree. Um but again, it's like he's he's a rookie. RJ's going to have nights like he did tonight. Uh, he's going to have other games where he's just somewhat invisible. Um, and you just, you just kind of take it game by game and then assess after a larger sample size and a larger sample size from that and draw conclusions as you will. And, and tonight I think was a good reminder. And now I want to get to Kevin Knox, which I think will be an in- a good transition to our discussion about the, the Drummond thing and then to, to what we're going to finish with. Um, Kevin Knox and I played 20 minutes. He was six of eight from the floor. He made his first two threes. I, I joked on Twitter that he had mit- missed like, you know, some absurd number in a row, but he had really missed a lot in a row. Um, made a couple threes. He was aggressive in a good way. Um, had a beautiful move in the third quarter in which he drove the lane. And, uh, I think he got fouled. I forget. He, he went to the free throw line four times. Um, ended up with 17 points on eight shots and the defense, you know, he had a, a couple especially the the last defensive possession before he got pulled out of the game. He was caught flat-footed, and James Johnson just strolled down the lane. Um, but I even thought his defense was better for a large portion of the game tonight. You know, and that's not a surprise. He's a 20-year-old kid. His offense is clearly affecting what he's doing on the other end. He's been He was bad on that end the last several games, very bad. Um, and he's looked lost, and, and tonight was a reminder that, like, look, still young, still got a lot of growing to do, and that... On a more importantly, on a night where Julius Randle soaked up 21 shots and R.J. Barrett played 40 minutes and was doing a lot with his possessions, 
you know, Alfred Payton was dominating the ball a lot. Like, Knox still got his touches. Knox still, you know, again, some people may complain he only played 20 minutes. For me, personally, this, what I saw from Knox tonight, you know, you take, even without as many shot attempts, you take this. You take, you know, 20 minutes where he's an active participant in the offense. I feel like if you throw Morris into the mix, and this is another argument for trading Morris as much as it'll hurt the team, um, you know, I, I feel like he he maybe doesn't doesn't get quite that big a share of the offense. Um, but I was really encouraged by what we saw, and I think it's my personal like biggest takeaway going forward. Because if this, I feel like a young kid like this, one game could really maybe get him going. We'll see what happens, but. Um, Damn it, John. The one thing I was going to say was put a plus one in the trade Marcus Morris column. And you just, you had, <laughs> you said it. You just, you had to say it. Um, I'm no, sorry. I, I'm, I'm with, sorry. That's my bad. <laughs> no worries. I'm with you in terms of the minutes. Schwinn tweeted about this uh, this past week, but it was, he was talking about Frank. And I think this applies to Knox as well, where it's really the quality yeah. of the quantity of the minutes. It's not so much like he has to consistently play. I mean, I do think Frank should have played more minutes this past week. Um, really, it's neither here nor there, I guess, in the, it, with Knox. Um, but no, I mean, Knox played 20 minutes and he played but, 20 But in fairness, Frank's That's minutes have been quality. I th- I would say that they, yes. like, it's the inverse of what you're saying. Frank's minutes have been like, he's he's been, I don't want to say dominating the offense, but he's been getting a lion's share of it. Yes, he's been doing a very solid job in the minutes he's been given. Yeah. And I think Knox did exactly that tonight. Um, I think beforehand he was given maybe similar or, or probably less fewer minutes uh, than before. But the thing is he wasn't exactly, he wasn't doing a quality job of it during that time. So seeing Knox do this, I mean, who wouldn't want this type of role, right? We, we're talking about sending him to the G league. Well, you trade Marcus Morris, maybe you trade one or two other guys and you're looking at it pretty much of a G league team in a lot of ways. Of course the Knicks, you know, the the Knicks stripped of almost every veteran would still be the best G League team in the NBA in the in the G League. But yes. the point the point being, it's like okay, well, if he's getting this meaningful time, and there's no one really going up against him for it, then if he has if he has nights like this, it's even better to have it in the public eye than it is for him to go over to Westchester and and feel worse about it because he's I, not playing with the big league squad. I can't I can't get on the Knox to Westchester bandwagon. I mean. He, sorry, I lost you for a second. What'd you say? Same. I'm I'm in the same boat, and I I understand there's a development factor, and he's already succeeded against NBA competition for sustained stretches in his career. Not as much as we'd like, and it's more on one end of the floor than the other. But it's like this isn't a this isn't a. I'm sorry, I can't. Yeah, it's it's not a situation like that. Yeah. What can Kevin Knox gain from the G League? That he can't gain from Mike Miller. Nothing. Right. So Nothing. if it's really just – it really just feels like the idea of sending him to the G League is to kind of whet the appetite of the fans. Who if he wasn't playing, like that'd be one to, thing. But he is playing. Right. But it, it's like they have to see him uh, put up positive minutes against lesser competition to kind of reinforce how they feel. And to me, that's – is that really developing? No. It just – I don't think it's as meaningful as you can get where he's here. I think kind of taking the hard licks and and needing to play against meaningful competition by producing. And if you're behind Marcus Morris on the depth chart, there are worse things to happen. But again, I I think it's a it's a shame if you have him behind Morris on the depth chart for the entire season. 
especially based on the record, based on everything with Mook, you know, all of the context necessary. But for right now in games where he's just filling in and he's if he's performing like this or even a notch down from this, let him get his feet wet here. It and, doesn't have to be in Westchester. And it doesn't have a, to be in Maine or Delaware or any place <laughs> that they travel to. It's not going to help them. Maine. Yeah, that is, a, that is a ways away. And everything you're saying leads directly into the, the, the Andre Drummond conversation because it's, it's like, okay, again, they're 7-11 and 11 under Mike Miller. And under, uh, for those 18 games, they have a negative 4.3 net rating, which is the 21st, I think, or 22nd in basketball. They are exactly what we figured they would be this season they are they're on a whatever it is a 31 32 33 win pace um it's like this is what this year was supposed to be all along young players have some good games young players have some bad games randall takes the lion's share uh morris looks great um good enough to get a nice return in a trade you spend the last half of the season playing the kids more that that's the script and if you would have told us that script from day one, I think, Jeremy, correct me if I'm wrong, that we all would have signed up for that. Am I am I wrong about that? No, I don't think you're incorrect. I think the bigger questions would have been maybe who's finishing games, what's the minutes distribution. Yeah, fine, we uh, could nitpick. Teams, and- right, but, but at this point in time, if you kind of looked at it, I mean, yeah, you'd, you'd maybe hope the Knicks are, um, let's call it five games better if we're if we're well, just you talking would, about yeah but record, again but, that's the Fis- we're not. that's the Fisdale conversation that's of the course. well what does this team look like if they are coached by Mike Miller um for the entire season and I think you could argue yeah five more wins would put them at uh 16 and 24 um which by the way I think when we did our last preseason podcast when we were tossing around like records and I was like I would I would sign up for 15 and 25 after or 15 and 26 after 41 games in a heartbeat. Well, guess what? You give them five more wins and that's exactly what they'd be at. And I don't think it's a stretch to say they would have five more under Miller. What does this have to do with Andre Drummond? Um, it has to do with him in this. And, and I, God, we could sit here and talk for an hour about him and this whole nonsense. And I don't want to do that. But this is this is the moment where you have to be patient. Right. This is the moment where you have to say, all right, um, the kids are there. It's some good and some bad. This was never like you tried to make it happen overnight. And you know what? They went across the fucking river. And well, first he blew his ACL and or his Achilles, excuse me. And then he went across the river. And maybe that's for the best. But you tried the quick fix. It didn't happen. Now you have to take your lumps and you have to do it slowly and you have to do it the right way. And I, I, I'm not going to go on that long of a rant because I did it after the game on, uh, what was it, Friday night. But this, the fact that they had, and Ian Begley reported it, what was his term? More than exploratory, I think was the exact words he used, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The uh, discussions about Andre Drummond just absolutely reeks to me of a front office that is is not confident that if the, if this team plays at this pace under Mike Miller with the kids performing as they are and ends up with you know do the math after the 4 and 18 start even if you keep up this win percentage that they've on they've been on since Mike Miller took over that ends that gets them to what 
30 or uh, 26 wins, 27 whereabouts. Is that somewhere in that neighborhood? It reeks of a front office that thinks if they don't get more than 27 or 28 wins to end the season, they will lose their jobs Um, because there is no argument. There is literally no argument for I don't care if the I don't care if the deal is Bobby Portis and a a sack of basketballs. And I'm sorry, uh, they'd have to throw in some more salary. Bobby Portis, Wayne Ellington and a sack of basketballs for Andre Drummond. I literally don't care if that's the deal, because if that's the deal, what have you done? You have acquired a center who is going is uh, several months away from a payday, and then you have chosen one of two paths. You either are letting that center walk for nothing, but between now and then, you're letting him play 34 minutes a night, which is his average right now, and God knows he is going to want every one of those seconds because he is trying to get paid, and that means you are relegating your 21-year-old center on the team already to no more than 14 minutes a night, if that. Um, or scenario B, you re-sign Andre Drummond and you basically relegate your your 21-year-old center to what? I don't know. Trade bait, um, I, I guess. Um, and you pay Andre Drummond a contract that his own team, his own team that has employed him for the last eight years has already decided they want no part of, even though the Detroit Pistons have not been able to get a free agent to sign with them since Ben fucking Gordon. Jeremy. Am I missing anything here? I could go on for a lot longer about this, but I, I, I have to stop myself. Please chime in. I think uh, first impressions are incredibly tough. If we, the first we really heard about this was from Shams. And what he said was that the Knicks are like, right. That the Knicks are interested in Andre Drummond. Yes. But then of course we heard from the Pistons beat writer who said, no, no, no it's the Pistons who initiated what we're running with, whether it's true or not, is the fact that the Knicks are interested. And, of course, Ian t- said there were more exploratory conversations from there. More but than exploratory, I just, yes. Right. I just – I I think about what it looks like if the reverse happened, right? If a report came out from a Detroit beat writer that the Pistons initiated the Knicks and that's what was the first thing we kind of had in our brains and then Shams said the Knicks – initiated the conversation just kind of how that changes the dynamic for us as can fans I, can and, I and ask you something the chaos on that? around the front office can i ask you something honestly does yeah. it matter that much who initiated the talks if if we are to believe ian right if we're to believe ian which i do he's literally the one guy who i will never I, I shouldn't say that there are other guys who i won't question i will never question ian begley um agreed and because he's he's that good um but if the if they went down this road even a little bit to inquire like yeah hey, what would it take to get him does it isn't that enough to make us like ser- cuz that means one of two things right it means either they they no actually i don't think it means one of two it means they do not have faith in Mitchell Robinson himself which okay, Fine, whatever. You, I, 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 if you're not sold on the kid, okay, great. You're not seeing what I'm seeing, but whatever. You're entitled to your opinion. But it, it also means that you don't have faith in your own organizational ability to take whatever warts that he's shown and improve them. Because how in God's name could you acquire a center who's going to play 34 minutes a night and still have faith in the center that you have and your ability to make him better, especially if you're going to re-sign Andre Drummond to a mammoth contract this summer. I, it doesn't add up to me. 
it doesn't add up the fact that they went down this road at all. Yeah. I, I was thinking about it, like, what would be some type of comparison? Um, one example I thought of was the Giants just traded for Leonard Williams that's this past summer. The, or this that's past season. the obvious one. And it's like, okay, well, you traded a third and a fifth, and yeah, there's a conditional pick that can kind of go back to the Giants. But but this team is so bad that you're trading for a guy that you could just easily get in free agency if you really want him. And then well, I there's thought, that okay, part well, of it too. I didn't even go there, but right. yeah. But then I also – because the, 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 the way I look at it is the Knicks trade for him. They're kind of uh, – they're not beholden to re-signing him. But if they don't resign him, it's like, well, why did you even trade for him in the first place? That it's would, almost like there's a sunk cost for for as bad as as for as bad as it would be to sign Andre Drummond to whatever contract he's about right. to get. It would actually be worse if they traded for him and let him walk because then it's like, what? What are you doing? Like, what's the point anyway? Yeah, and I think the from what the uh, Detroit Free Press beat the beat reporter from the paper wrote. I think his name is Vincent Ellis. He said the proposed deal was Drummond and another Pistons player for Randall and Frank. So if you're the Pistons, what you're probably pitching to the Knicks is, look, you get this player if you guys want to continue your playoff hopeful run. Uh, and basically you get whatever player we're giving you. Maybe he's helpful. Maybe we don't really know what he is. But in return, we take on Julius Randall's contract, which we know certainly seemed in the beginnings as an albatross. Um, which is you don't not have to worry a bad about that. contract. Have- right. Exactly. That's the thing. So it's. And then it's like, oh, and we also get Frank Nielakina to be paired with Sekou Dombaya because they're both French. They're close. It sounds like a win-win. And it's like, no, it sounds like a win for Detroit and a ridiculous fucking trade for the Knicks because it just makes no sense. Um, I also thought maybe it's like if the Kings somehow traded for Mike Conley. Uh, but it's not really that because, I mean, number one, Conley can and probably play off ball. Uh, that's number the two, thing. Darren this- Fox, Darren Fox is a lot better than – Mitchell Robinson, if we're comparing the two, but, but, but yeah, we I mean, live in an age where you could have multiple ball handlers. There's no such thing right. as too many ball handlers on the floor, as long as one of them could shoot, or uh, you know, too many of them can't shoot. Um, as long as too, yeah, as long as too many of them don't, yeah, whatever. You need shooting on the floor. You need ball handling on the floor. Center is literally the one position where yes, you can overstack the deck. Like you can't, you can't play Mitch Robinson and Andre Drummond at the same time. And if you have Drummond here, it. I, like that's the thing I can't get past is you're directly inhibiting Mitchell Robinson's development. And so then you're doing – to me, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, three things are going to happen. One, Mitchell Robinson is going to know, wow, my team that I think I've been pretty good for over the last year and a half, They, I guess maybe they don't believe in me as much as I thought. That's one. Two, he's not going to be getting the amount of playing time that he needs to you know, work through – his warts. Um, and three, you're because of the fact that he's probably going to look worse because he doesn't, he's not, he's playing thinking that he's, you know, his replacement has just walked through the door. He's going to lessen his own trade value. So if the, and I'm, I'm not going to go on too long about this either. Cause I wrote a big thing about this in tomorrow in the newsletter. If your grand plan here is to, like trade Mitchell Robinson down the line and like add, you know, name a, 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 you know, a big air quotes star that could be, could be had like D'Angelo Russell's a name that came to mind. I'm sure there are others. Um, Like really, that's the road we're going down now. Really to try to like build our team that way. 
with with the Andre with like the B minus level, like again, quote unquote stars of the league. You know, it's Isaiah Thomas all over again. That's not how you build a team. A- again, am I missing something here? No, but but I think that's the one thing I would say in terms of where he's like it it shouldn't necessarily matter about who initiated. I think it does because of the fact that if the Knicks are the ones who are initiating in the first place, it just so it just shows malpractice. That's horseshit. If that is the case, that would be right. t- so much worse. But continue. Yeah. So, but I kind of go back and forth on this, right? Because at what point is it due diligence, and at what point is it just a pointless call by every stretch? Like, why is it that? That you would even bother to call up the Pistons and gauge what the What's interest is. What's to be unless, gained? What's to be right. gained? Let's say you I literally, that, again, let's say you got him for free for Bobby Portis and, and Wayne Ellington's contract, which again is not going to be the case. But let's say you got him for nothing that you want. That To me, getting him is in and of itself a detriment. Right. And even then, if you got him for just that, you know, Bobby Portis and filler, who is that helping? It doesn't it's seem help, to be helping you know what's helping? It's helping Steve Mills and Scott Perry. I'm, I'm sorry, right. yelling in the but short term because it's getting. It's you know what it's doing. It's getting them to from 28 wins maybe to 32 or 33 or 34 wins, and they get to go to the, the uh, ownership office and say, "Hey, look, we acquired an all star this season because he's going to be an all star. The guy has a million 2020 games because he's good." He's good. He's better than Andre Drummond is better than Mitchell Robinson is right now. I I, I know that might be sacrifice. No, I, I completely I'm completely with you. I mean, I think that Mitchell Robinson can be a better two way player by the time he gets to oh, Andre Drummond's age. Without but question, if we're talking about right right now in terms of consistency. Then- in terms of like, look, I and I don't mean to belittle what Mitchell Robinson can do and what he does on some nights, which is win games by himself. I would argue, but like on a consistency level. In terms of like, look, the last two games have been really bad for him, whether it's because the Drummond stuff is in his head, I don't know. But let's just say, yes, Drummond will help them win more games if they if they have him on the roster than if they don't. But again, what is your like to, to it's to me, Andre Drum. And again, this isn't a, this isn't to say don't try to acquire talent. That's not what we're saying here. It's like. Just be a little bit smarter about the talent that you're acquiring, and, and 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 more importantly, at what positions you're acquiring it, and what effect is it going to have on the other young players on your roster. That's where really this, to me, this comes down to. Yeah, and I think the one thing about Mitch, uh, I don't say this apathetically, but his feelings are not my greatest concern, and I say that knowing full well that the last really good big man that the Knicks had, uh, his feelings were hurt, and. He's no longer with the team. Um, again, I think Mitchell Robinson should be taken into consideration. It's just a sort of thing where if this, if if it were, if it weren't Drummond, right? Maybe if it were a different center, a better center, or even one who. If wasn't this is Carl Anthony Towns, this is a different. Obviously, exactly. this is a different conversation. Right. But it's so, not Carl Anthony Towns. And and sorry, one other thing, real quick. Mitchell Robinson, to me, if you were talking about like a. I don't want to throw shade on this guy, but it's the first guy that came to my mind. If you're talking about like a Jared Allen level prospect, like, all right, like, fine, whatever, great. To me, and maybe this is maybe this is where my bias is coming into play because I do like Mitchell Robinson, um, you know, and but to me, we've seen enough from him that shouldn't there be more of an investment, especially given what the front office has has told us now for two and a half years. 
Yeah, no, this the move is a complete panic move, obviously, but it's also the antithesis of what they've been trying to do, which is why I was kind of at first because I read I read the tweet which Shams had and then Ian had it, of course, as well, where I think I was more confused and angry at the idea of something that was completely just uncharacteristic of them. But then I thought if the ship is sinking, it's kind of every man for themselves. So I can almost understand why they want to do it. I completely disagree with it. I mean, vehemently, but I, but I at least understand it. But, you know, then you watch games like today, right? And you see Mitch is just abysmal. If we're, yeah, if we're being honest. He's out of it. Right. And then you can, you can see why, if this team had a player like Drummond, what that could do. You could also look at it and say it's fucking ridiculous to even consider it based on the team's record, based on the fact that you've got all these other things going on and the future that we need to take in consideration, which I know we're going to talk about more because well, it puts look, even greater context around the Drummond trade. We could start uh, to get into that. Yeah, let's do it. I think here's the transition. It's again, it is – see, this is what I hate about NBA discussions, especially on Twitter where you have 280 characters. Everything's black and white. It's always black and white. It has to be black and white, and you can't – and if you try to live in the gray – you're being seen as someone who doesn't take a position and you're and you're worthless. But this the so often there is no clear right and clear wrong. It's an in-between. There is a balance to all of this stuff. Like we said before, you don't want them to lose every game, right? Um but at the same time, obviously, the other side the other flip side is like, yeah, you don't go out and trade RJ Barrett for, you know, the absurd example would be for DeMarta Rosen and uh, you know, Go go swap Mitch for you know I don't know whatever fuck it I don't know, Otto, Otto Porter or something and and build yourself a very lovely uh, forty five win team for the foreseeable future like there's a there's a middle ground there and I think what your article this week really got at is like you have to have. Like, yes, you have to be able to roll with the punches. And that's kind of the one area that I wanted to hold your, your, your feet to the fire. And actually, ironically enough, it goes against my whole rant on Drummond is, I, and I, I'm, I'm going to try to formulate this in a, in a coherent way and I'll let you respond is like, you, you need to, you need to roll with opportunities that could potentially come up. You can't, I don't know that you could have like, okay, this is the definitive path. And that's like, it's either going to be door A, door B, door C in terms of how you acquire a top 10 player. Like sometimes there is a value to just making incremental improvements. Don't, or, or do you disagree with that? And I, that's kind of where I want you to take it off. Incremental improvements from an asset standpoint or from the player from the team? I, I, I like the, so again, here's the example. Like what if the Knicks could get Chris Paul? For you know whatever, I, um, uh, uh, you'd need to put a lot of salary into the deal, but like, I don't know, Marcus Morris, uh, Bobby Portis, and Wayne Ellington. So you're essentially trading the value that you would get for Marcus Morris for Chris Paul, right? Let's say that trade's on right. the table, and and I'll even do you one better. Let's say, um. Because you're figuring the, the the Thunder are going to turn around and swap Morris for for some kind of assets, or maybe it's a three team deal. Whatever. Let's say that. Let's say the Thunder even throw something in. It's a small asset, right? Like a, a, a second round pick that they have, right? 
is there any value in that in your eyes? To, yeah, it's it's I, I see exactly where you're getting. Is it better to kind of um, help the players currently on your team or is it better to focus more on the draft and your odds? And, and I know it's certainly more complex than that. And, and choosing one of the paths that you laid out in your piece where it's yes. like it has like this is the way these are the ways you could get a top 10. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, in that case, it would be no. Based on what I'm outlining in the piece and applying it here, uh, no, I don't think Chris Paul really gets you to where you want to be, because really, it's um, my main point is like, okay, if you're, if I think the best way personally to acquire this talent is through the draft. Uh, I'm sure you would probably agree, based on how free agency has gone, and if this current front front office is still in place from a uh, just, I mean, if they're still here from a trade standpoint, it's not looking super great. So you've got one other path, and that's through the draft. Um, of course, you could say if the Knicks had been had decided to be worse than they were in 2017 and 2018, we could be looking at different players, uh, perhaps better players than where the Knicks currently have what they have in terms of uh, Frank and Kevin Knox. But like again, so it's like okay, well, if you're focusing on the draft, and the biggest problem for me right now is development, and it's not going to happen overnight. But it's it's something where you want to see it in a somewhat tangible manner. It's really tough. And I look at this roster and I see some really good um, like kind of second secondary pieces and I see some really good rotation pieces. But there's nothing sexy about what the Knicks have. And I don't say that to put down RJ or Mitch or really anyone else that any person listening to this has uh, – feelings for in terms of just like how they enjoy their play you don't have to defend it it's not an outlandish statement right so it's like if you if you need that that real like 1a type player a1 type player whatever you want to call it steak sauce baby hell yeah (laughs) then what you need is to most likely draft him because if you want to look at like the way i tried to structure it is first with the draft that's the hardest to predict because of how random it is, how far out things can be, how prospects constantly change. And then I looked at free agency, which was, okay, well, we know the Knicks aren't going to get anyone good this year. We don't really know what the best player next year or the following year will want in being Giannis Antetokounmpo, but it's probably more stability and more progress than what the Knicks are showing currently. And things can change in the drop of a hat, but it's like he he needs to see enough for him to make a change. And if we take him off the list, then we look at the next year and it's middle-aged uh, James Harden and Steph Curry. And that doesn't really help you get to where you need to be. They're great players, especially in their early to mid-30s. But what does it really do for you? And then you get to – you could keep going and going yeah. and going. And that's that's kind of like where I look at it this. I, I had someone say to me on Twitter that the Knicks had enough assets. And that's ridiculous. I kind of laughed at that because no, ridiculous. you can't have enough assets. The Knicks are not in a point in a position where they have enough. Um, and also I saw another thing that was the Knicks shouldn't trade Marcus Morris for a first round pick because look at what the Knicks have done with their first round picks under this front office. And that honestly was, well, that's, was, that just means everybody should get fired. Um, right. Because what are we doing here? Exactly. But then you could look at it as like, well, Mitch was found in the second round. You're telling me that a player can't be found that's high quality later on. It, you know, so 
and the other thing with Mitch that I didn't get to include because it just simply went on too long and I thought this would be a better outlet to discuss it. Um, and you're obviously well aware of this, John, is his contract situation. Yes. Things get very dicey in terms of how the Knicks want to handle it because he signed under contract next season. And then 2021, he's got a team option, the Knicks which, decline. which they will decline. Yes. Um, and, and by the, by the way, by the way, they, they can actually, it, it would, there's a limit to how much it, it is. But they can actually lock him up this summer. Yes, but the, it question would, is, the max would what be is that price point? well if they lock if so again I I have no I'm not I I mean obviously I interact with with Mayor online um his his not shared with me his uh, uh plan as far as any negotiations this summer <laughs> um I, I, I wish he had um but you know I I believe the number for Mitch is. Uh, can if he signs this summer tops out at around ten million um a year? I, I I don't think he can make more than that. Um, I think it it could be like a four. I don't even know if it could be a more than a four year extension. I there's some special rules with with how it is, but it, it's capped at a certain number. And then what you're talking about is they uh do what basically the Nuggets did with uh, Nikola Jokic, which is decline the um fourth year team option so they could make him a restricted free agent and then be able to match whatever any team wants to pay him, which is where we're probably heading, I would guess. Correct. And so when you look at Mitch and his contractual situation, uh, if you wanted to flip him for a player, you would have to do it before the 2021 trade deadline. Of course, unless the Knicks picked up his option, uh, kept him on a very cheap salary for another year and then they could trade him anytime later. Um, the problem with that is the team acquiring him doesn't have any restricted rights, so he yeah, can that's, just walk and that's sign not going to happen. They're they're going to so, figure out what they're doing in the next year and a half. Right. So, but basically, you have, and again, not advocating for this, just just explaining. Uh, the Knicks have about a year and a month to trade Mitch if they wanted to secure another big name player. Because let's face it. If he if there's an asset worth uh, acquiring, Mitch is is likely going to be in the deal. And if he's not, it could be RJ and not happening. I, I, they're not right, they're exactly. not going to trade RJ Barrett. Right. So so you've now got a year to kind of facilitate these things because, like I said, the free agent class in 2022 is even worse. We've got in 2021. So what's your ultimate point here with this whole Mitch thing? My ultimate point is that if you want to make a move, you got to do it soon. Um, but you don't want to do it too soon because teams don't have to trade him. Like let's, let's, that's why I use towns as an example, because the wolves really don't have to trade Carl Anthony towns. There's no reason for him, for them to do that when he signed through 2024. Um, I do think it's interesting that what the wolves look like, uh, in his absence, um, where they're one of the top defenses, his, they've gone from like, aren't, weren't they like, uh, with his, his on-court defensive number was like, I think it was dead last or maybe yeah. it was pretty close. Was, and and now it's like first. I, <laughs> which is, <laughs> you know what though? To me, that's just like, if if that's the sliver of hope you need to be able to swoop in and give whatever it takes to get him like that. I mean, it's Carl it's Anthony Towns. I'll, 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 that's the guy you build your team around to cover up his defensive warts, but we're, we're getting off track anyway. Right. So, if Carl Anthony Towns is still under contract um, through this year, which I believe he will be, 
And if it's through the 2021 trade deadline where he's still in the Wolves, that would be the last Robinson. Then they have um, a lesser stash because the problem with trading players is you can't swap a player for a different player. It's like the Peter Griffin yacht joke. It's like, you know, the draft pick can be any player, but the player is a player. (laughs) I love how you you brought that in. (laughs) So if you wanted to include Mitch in that package, you'd have until then. Um, So really, it's it's all about the value, because if you want to keep him and time will certainly tell, you have to figure out exactly what you want to do before that deadline, because then you'd have to wait to do a sign and trade. It complicates things is my point. And the Knicks are are scarce on real quality assets. And I know a lot of fans are looking into a star point guard. Again, I think the Knicks just need to go with the best player available, who's hopefully someone who can really create, uh, preferably shoot and or play defense. I, I don't think that's asking that much, but I, maybe it is. Um, but if the Knicks continue to acquire these assets, then they don't even have to worry about should we trade Mitchell Robinson? Should we trade the player we pick in the 2020 draft? Should we trade R.J. Barrett? It's it's a matter See, of we've got enough on our plate here and we've got helpings from other teams that we can just send out those other teams' helpings and basically use those those assets, not even our own, uh, or at least not to a greater extent, and acquire a player that we want. And you get those assets by trading something of value to get something of value. And what is a value for the Knicks to do? What they have right in front of them, which is Marcus Morris, which is really anything for Bobby Portis. I don't expect much, but something. No, you, uh, you're evaluating Randall. It's, you, it's like... You build up these little stashes. Yes. And then little stashes can become bigger stashes and you increment And that's what good teams do. Um, again the conversation about whether this front office is the ones to be entrusted to to you know make make the little pile bigger and bigger and bigger as opposed to uh you know setting fire to it um that's that's harsh uh, i didn't mean yeah. that no but it, it, i mean look it, it, it anyone who questions whether they're the ones for the job i mean it's that's a fair question but to your point so basically it sounds like you would argue that like if you could get a first round pick, even a late first round pick, um, for Julius Randle, like you would do that. Am I am I correct in saying that? Yeah, but I think it also really depends on when that pick conveys. Because again, future picks Well, this draft sucks. <laughs> we should Yeah, exactly. It really we does. should say we should say outright that this draft is terrible. And this so there's two complicating factors here for me. Um, very different. And I'll save my two things. I'll let you respond and we'll finish up. Um, here's the, the first thing. If you're talking about the draft and you're talking about using the draft as your best avenue to get a top 10 player, that essentially means not necessarily tanking next season, but it does mean not trying to make the playoffs next season. Because my understanding of the 2021 draft um, is that it is very good and there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's a, it's a legit top 10 as opposed to this draft, which is that there's like nobody who is, would normally go in like a top 10 other than Anthony Edwards. Um, and the only way you get a high pick there is if you're, you know, you're in the running, uh, to, to, to actually get it. And you know, the lottery rules are what they are. So what is the, what is the cost what is the cost of doing that business if you catch my drift? You know what I mean? 
Um, you're, it's another, you know, it's another losing year. Um, what toll does that take, uh, on the psyche of the players you have? And, and, you know, these questions may seem silly to people out there who look at this stuff like it's a balance sheet. I personally don't. Um, and I think, I I don't know, that's, that's one thing. And then the other, the other part of it is if, if that's your, your primary road and there's so much chance involved in that road, both where you're going to end up with in, at, at, uh, in the draft, A, and B, whether the guy that you do end up with is actually going to come to fruition as a, as a difference-making top 10 player. Like, I don't know what percentage chance you want to put on both of those things happening. Uh, it's not high versus the alternative, and this is the second point and again it doesn't have to be Chris Paul but just like if you just keep making the team a little better it's not that like it's not that you're going all in for like that next star to come and look your way but it's like just if you do bit by bit by bit by bit doesn't that inherently factor in your location in the garden. And again, we learned the lesson last year. No one's coming to play an MSG just because it's fucking MSG. They don't give a shit. It needs to be a good product. It needs to be a place where they feel like they could win. But if you get those incremental improvements, like, yeah, maybe it's not Giannis, maybe it's not Kawhi, but maybe, you know, when Trey Young gets fed up with uh, losing in Atlanta for how many years in a row, maybe he says, you know what? I'm demanding a trade and I'm demanding a trade to the Knicks. Um, you know, and, and, and does something crazy like that. Like, you, you, I guess what I'm saying is in a, it's a long-winded way of saying there's chance involved in all of this stuff. Um, and there's a significant chance. There is significant chance involved with all this stuff. So isn't there, and this is more a devil's advocate thing than anything else, but isn't there value to just taking the road where you're, you're, yeah. You're feeling good about yourself as an organization, I guess is the best way to put it. That's that's kind of the best I could put it. All right. Um, that was good. A lot to unpack. Okay. So for starters, I think, yes, the um, how you sell yourself to the, to the fans is a very important factor. If this front office survives, going backwards is death. You have to keep moving forward. You just have to. And you acquire assets to the best of your abilities. Which, which isn't a reason to do so, by the way, it, but it is a uh, – Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you keep trudging forward and then when the opportunity arises, right, where it's like a Trey Young type player, um, if you want to cash your chips or at least trade it in some way, then that's what you get. Great. Um, but I think that an, another big thing here is the fact that – the Knicks lacked star power this summer, and I think James Dolan is very eager to give the team some sort – something – at least the fans, something exciting. Um, and of course, that's where you can go back to like the Maasai, Presti type guys. Um, but the bigger thing for me is you look at 2021. If the team does well enough to make the playoffs, I feel like that's positive. But what if they're caught in no man's land, which is uh, kind of like how I look at last year's Brooklyn Nets. Uh, the difference is, of course, they got – Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But the thing is... Because they play in New York and those two guys wanted to come to New York and they just chose the other team in New York. Anyway. Right. Sorry. But so what I think about is what happens if they didn't? 
right? You're looking at a Nets team that has D'Lo as their best player. And I still, I also almost included D'Lo in my article, but I thought I don't see D'Lo being at any point a top 10 player in a season. Um, it's just, that's just not. He's, he's a guard version of Andre Drummond for me. Yeah. I and he would still, well by the way, he would still make more sense to trade for than Andre Drummond because at least he helps the product on the floor and you could talk yourself into like, all right, I'll pay $27 million for him. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. So it's, it's looking at that. It's like kind of figure out what your ceiling is. And when you look at what the Knicks have in 2021, they've got their own first round pick. They've got the Mavs first round pick. Uh, they've got the Hornets second round pick, which mind you, as I, as the train just decides to be ridiculously loud, um, mind you with the Hornets this year, if you look, they're like maybe one loss away from that pick being suddenly around the 35th pick. They're really they're much closer to the bottom than people think because they, of their hot start. Yeah, they are. They're the a, a spot out of the East eighth seed, but they are also um, only better than two teams in the Western Conference. So right now, it would be the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, thirty ninth pick. Yes, right. But then they're they're so close. But to they're only being, a game out. You're right. They're only a game out. Of exactly. 35th. Yeah. So then, when you look at that, um, you look at to see what possibly the Knicks could get this year. Like if there's any way to trade for a future pick, um, doing anything you can to move up in the draft is perfect because then it kind of is like, all right, you're making progress um, and you're able to then use the assets that you acquired to, to find that one piece. And if you're convinced that that, that player at number one can be your guy and you're not too far away from him, then everything works out perfectly. Um, or at least you hope so. But then the issue is, where are the Knicks in terms of picking? If they're top five and they only need to move up from five to one, that's a lot easier than, say, if they manage to do some sort of um, half-hearted, let's say they finish 11th or 10th in the standings and they don't get lucky in the lottery. Moving up all the way to one can be very hard. Moving up to five can even be uh, kind of so tricky, but they have the assets. You're talking – really what you're talking about is making a play to move up in the draft when the opportunity is right, a la Dallas with Luka Doncic. That's your – that's your – that's where you tilt the scales in your direction it sounds like. If you can't get a free agent, which I think what we've seen is in, in the last 10 years, well, that's a really tough sell because really, you have to have the core. No, and then I, if you have the core, you need to have them on affordable enough contracts where they've shown – development and then when you look at the players who are available via free agency it's it's hard to see who really fits who really elevates <sighs> your team to a high competitive level and not just a really good team that maybe has a second round exit at best because the goal here is to yeah. is to win a championship not build um a team that's really good right so in that case and, and that's where i think the benefit of having a new front office would come into play next year if there's a new front office, they can look at the team and say, you know what? We don't have our guy. I like the guys we have, but we don't have our killer. I need I need a true bona fide player who fits the timelines, who can be that guy. And then that's perfect because the fans can say, you know, I really want to see winning. It sucks to take that step back, but this is the guy's first time. I understand. I knew that with Porzingis leaving, maybe it's best long term, but short term, we were always going to, barring a uh, Kevin Durant signing without tearing his Achilles, like it was the plan was always to really um, suck in the short term. And that gives you more of a chance to kind of accept what your circumstances are. Whereas this team is just like, you know, it's like 
it's almost like the Titanic hitting an iceberg. And instead of sinking, they're like, we got to just keep going. I know we're really far away from New York, but maybe if we try hardest, <laughs> that's, we can get there. That's harsh. That's hard. I, you know, but, but it's true though. It's, it's the sort of thing where the Knicks are so far away and with this front office, whether you want to slander them or not, it's just matter of factly right now they're far away I, and th- we want them to reach a certain point and just doing kind of like these Drummond moves or even the, the anything that, that feels short term, it, it screws the long term up a lot. I don't look, I, I get it. Um, you're, I think most smart NBA people would think that you would agree with you. Um, my position is as much devil's advocate as anything else, but I just, you know, we spent the entire last year, not leading up to June 30th being like, we're finally in a position to take advantage of the fact that we play that it's a, it's New York, it's the Knicks. And we found out that being the Knicks and being in New- being the Knicks in New York is not enough. But we were reminded that the Knicks or that New York is still a draw, and we were reminded last summer um, that and the last two summers really with LeBron James that like L- the, you know the NBA map is it's L.A. it's New York and to a certain extent it's Miami and then it's everywhere else. And they were the, no one came last summer because they were a they were the worst team in basketball and b I don't think stars trusted themselves to this particular um, front office and the, the decision makers that are here maybe possibly I don't know that but you know you, you, whatever you go by what you hear um, so what if again it was not that situation and it was you make yourselves better. You you give players a reason to trust that they can that they can entrust their careers here. Um, I don't know. I I, I guess I, I I'm well, my point is that there's an argument on both sides. That's all. Yeah, um, but but yeah. Here, let me let me kind of paint a picture, right? Sure. Um, I lo- you got your smock, you got your your easel, you got your uh, what else? I'm I'm Bob Ross in this. Happy shit, trees. It's the whole, oh yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> anyway, so let's look at 2020. Um, Let's say the Knicks decide to do a pseudo sell, which is maybe Marcus goes, maybe Bobby Portis goes. They kind of keep everyone else. Maybe they buy out one other guy. And for what it's worth, I just want to pepper in. I actually don't believe every veteran should be traded um, or bought out. I think that it'd be good to keep some. I would also love to keep Reggie Bullock just because I By think the way, nice asset. does some great things with his team. Yeah. $4, $4 million next year. Uh, exactly. Very good asset. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. Whether you want to trade him or keep him, I think it makes sense to keep him right now. Um, but anyway, so let's say they get some assets. And the goal is, of course, a, a future one. Um, Nick's picking the top five. They get some sort of combo guard. Whoever you want to fill in. Uh, or some sort of backcourt player. Yeah. Um, go into 2021. Again, this is where it's like choose your own ending. Uh, if you have the front office, maybe they sign this front office. Maybe they sign back Marcus Morris. If you get a new one, maybe they kind of try to take a step could we, back. Could we sign? Could we sign Fred VanVleet? Is that are we allowed to sign Fred VanVleet <laughs> well, in this picture? The, I really like Fred Fred VanVleet. Um, my question is kind of like, do you necessarily need him, and what does he do to help you get to that final point? Right? Because and when I say need, it's like, well, if the Knicks do still believe in Frank. And if they do believe in this draft pick, who I'm guessing would be a primary ball handler, um, 
then do you necessarily need to spend on a Fred Van Vliet type player? And if so, what type of contract are you giving him? Are you I, giving him something that's multiple years? If so, how does that affect your future cap space? Then I, does that necessarily matter because of the players a bit? Like this is the thing where it gets so complicated no, because there's so it, many different directions and that's, to go. And that's my point is it does get complicated and there is no – this is the whole thing we started with. There is no like this is your path. You must stick to this path. Like you have to – like to me, you have to be you ready have to, have to adjust. Paths. Yeah. But then I look at something like the Jimmy Butler trade, right? And that was for Covington, Sarich, Bayless was um, salary filler. And I want to say they gave up, what was it, like a, they, they got back uh, Jimmy Butler, Patton, right? And then our second round pick, I can't remember. Did the, did the Sixers give a first round pick for Jimmy Butler? I feel like they had to. Have. The Sixers gave, um, no, I don't think they did. I think they just gave Covington and Sarich. Uh, I'll look it up now, though. Anyway. So if that's the case, if that's the case, then you're looking at two really, well, at least one really good role player, another role player um, for a star who wanted out. That's not a high package. And if you look at kind of like what the Knicks are doing with Frank and Knox and any other players, if they keep them and they give them these contracts, it's matching salary. Second round pick. Under contract for, okay, second round pick. We're like, they're under contract for long-term. It feels like the team is getting something of value. So you could honestly look at it. It's like if the Knicks tried to cash their chips in on moving up in a 2021 or 2022 draft and they re-sign their guys. I'm fine with that. But, but like, like, you don't, I, I know, I know, I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I'm not even going to say because I was going to be like, you don't need to completely outright suck hard next season to be able to do this the right way. But what you, what but it saying, helps. Yeah. From an asset stand. Again, uh, yeah. I, I understand. It's like, how can you say you want to punt on next year before next year even happens? No, and if, I don't mean to imply that. No, just, but I get it. Uh, I just. What's, it's, it's really like evaluating the long term goals here. And I think. It's it is almost hinky esque. I understand. I know a lot of people, of course, are are uh, they're kind of triggered by the word hinky, and I can understand why. Um, but you also have to look at this Sixers team and wonder what that happened, what what it looks like if Hinky's vision goes forward even more. And well, they've they've because also they fucked it direction. up because it, it, they also fucked it up, and it could be if if Hinky was allowed to probably stay on, um, you could make the argument that they'd be in a lot better position than they than they are right now, but. Um. Yeah, I. I. You know. So much of this just comes down to like, even if you make all the correct moves, are is what it's is, a step by step process. No, right? but it is. It, it, it got to start somewhere and then move to the next. In one. Your, and I think the the one to start on right now is, of course, assessing this team and looking in the mirror and seeing that what we've got, despite a great win against the Heat, is simply not sustainable. And it's okay to admit no, I, that. I don't. I don't disagree 30. with that. But I know it, you don't. It, it's worth to the front off. Every con- we, we talk about this all night, so we'll we'll end it here. But it's like it just it all comes back to do you trust the people making the decisions? Because if I if I trusted the people making the decisions to set the right culture and to take the the kids that were here and be able to foster their development even as the team continued to lose 50 games every year. I would have so much more faith in your plan, and I'd be like, yes, absolutely, 100%. But because of the fact that I don't have that faith is why I latch on to the idea of 
They just need to start feeling better about themselves as an organization to get this stench off of them as a team, as a franchise, as a as everything. But then is that the is that the way to operate, right? Is that the mindset by which us as fans have to root um for things going forward? And 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 you're not wrong and I'm not wrong, and it's because it 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 is what it is, and it's an unsatisfying way to end this discussion, but I don't know how else you end it. Um, I think you you end it with the most important thing is being in a situation where you can have a Luka Doncic type player. From there, it's really a matter of how yeah, great. You surround <laughs> the player. Of course, yeah, it's like oh, I would love I would love to have one, like an MVP caliber player, but it doesn't yeah. even have to be a front runner, right? It can be. Yeah. No, I, I got you. Also talks about it's like you just have to perform at a top eight MVP type season. And so if you're able to find just one of those players, because this is a league, uh, and this is another thing I was sent this week, and I just like completely shook my head. Someone said this is a, a league run by vets. And it's like, no, this is a league run by stars. And vets can be very much interchangeable, although they are important. But if you find that one player, and then you you include R.J. Barrett, you include no, Mitchell Robinson. It all comes down to getting the one player. It, trade, it all right? comes down that to one it. Player. So it's getting that one player, having him under team control for as long as possible. And, of course, you get the lengthiest amount of team control by going through the draft. You get seven to nine years, really more eight, nine if you want a franchise player, which the hope would be that. So once you get that player, if you do get that player, it's big and the rest kind of falls into place from there. And then you've got this excitement and it's palpable and then people start talking a little bit more and then you can start to make more pitches to free agents and and you can try to woo play or we woo teams and uh, from a trade standpoint and you can really try to go more all in. But the Knicks are so far from that that it's really hard to feel like that's a viable strategy. So it just again, it starts with the trade deadline, unloading a couple guys, seeing what the best offers are. Um, and then we move on to the summer and we assess from there. No. Um- well, no disagreement there. I, I think, I think they need to. They they need to listen. To, I don't know how else to say it. They need to listen to every offer that comes their way um, for any of these veterans, and and we'll see if they do. Um, there is twenty four days left uh, until the trade deadline, so we'll see how they approach it. Um, we will have lots more time to talk about all kinds of stuff in the interim. Hey, sassy, I'm I'm getting I'm done right now. It's it's Jeremy. It's Jeremy's bedtime too. He's actually past his bedtime. <laughs> can I make you mac and cheese? That's what you're coming down here to ask? Sure. I can make you mac and cheese. I have to go make mac you and make cheese. You make me mac and cheese? What? I love mac. No, can you make I me can, mac? And I can't make you mac. I'm not going to make you. It's we have it's a small box. It's a small box of mac and cheese. All right. Um sure. that is our cue to go. Jeremy, uh anything you want to say before we get out of here? No, sir. Uh, that's about it. <laughs> All right. Um everybody out there, listen, thank you. Thank you. This was this was fun. This was um a long discussion but a worthy one and a fun one. Um, it's a pleasure as always everybody out there uh, thank you very much for listening to another episode of the next film school podcast we'll be back with you with another episode uh, very soon as always until then enjoy your week peace out